The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au. That's www.noblebaptist.org.au. Well, welcome very much to you all this evening. Let's take your Bibles, and I'm going to look at a couple of verses together. We're looking tonight at what we believe about saving faith. And I want you to take your Bibles, and we'll look, put your Bibles in Hebrews 11 and verse 1, and I'm going to read a couple of texts to you, and then we're going to pray, and we'll dive into it. So... Hebrews 11 and verse 1. And you already know, most of you will know this great old text of Scripture. It says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, the great statement, the great thesis statement of Paul's explanation of the gospel is, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous, or the old King James says, the just shall live by faith. In Romans 4, verses 20 and 22, or 20 to 22, uh, Paul is describing Abraham's faith, and he says it like this. He says, no unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So the question we want to ask, we want to answer is, what is faith in God? You probably think, well, Nelson, this is Noble Park Baptist Church. We know what faith is. Well, that's true. I'm sure you mostly do know what faith is, but there's some more things we can learn. Faith is one of the biggest topics in the whole of the Bible, And we want to look at, in particular, what is saving faith as compared to what I'm going to call, in quotation marks, false faith. I'll explain a bit more, and we'll look at that, and then we'll dive into some other stuff about faith. But to understand what it is that we believe about faith. Let's pray first. Loving Father, we give you thanks that it was not through the offering of thousands or millions of bulls or goats It is not through endless works that we are saved. But Father, we give you thanks for that great statement that Paul made, the just shall live by faith. Father, we also realize that saving faith is not alone. We are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. It's always accompanied and followed by obedience. Father, we thank you that it is a simple thing as faith. Father, we thank you. Just to think that the gospel is so simple that a small child can understand it. And Father, at the same time, it is so rich and so multifaceted that the greatest team of scholars ever assembled could not determine and plumb its depths, could not understand every aspect of the gospel. And Father, it will be our delight as we go through eternity to learn ever new 
something more of your glory, of your grace, something new, something more of the salvation that we have enjoyed, we are enjoying in Christ. Father, we ask you that as we go through some texts and look at this great topic about faith and what it is we believe about saving faith, that you would teach us and help us to understand the truth of God's word, of your word. And we ask you these things, and Father, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. What is faith in God? Well, faith in the Old Testament and the New Testament carries several different meanings. It can mean anything from simple trust in God or in the Word of God. It can mean trusting God to keep His promises. Uh, Faith is being convinced, like Abraham was, that the promises we hope for are ours. Now, it may surprise you to know that Hebrews actually talks about some of these great Old Testament saints who never actually received the promises. They only saw them from afar, but they were still convinced that God was able to keep his promises, and that's what faith is. Uh, Faith always has an object. In this case, it is God. We trust in God. We are not trusting in facts. We are not trusting in information. We're not trusting in history. We are trusting in God. Uh, Faith and knowledge are also closely linked. And sometimes we think, well, you know, if we understand it all, then we can believe in God. But that's not the way it works. It's actually faith that comes first and the knowledge and understanding actually comes afterwards. Uh, Peter said in John 6 and verse 69, he says, We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So faith often precedes knowledge. We say, you explain it to us, God, and we'll believe in you. And God says, no, 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 you believe in me and you'll understand it. And it's absolutely true. As we come to faith in Christ, we come to faith in God, we begin to understand more and more and more. And it's by faith that we begin to grasp all these great truths of the Bible. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament incorporate obedience and faith together. In fact, faith is never, ever divorced from obedience. They go hand in hand. You say, isn't that a salvation of works? No, what it means is faith starts and faith produces obedience. Obedience doesn't result in salvation. Faith does, but faith always goes on to produce good works. For example, uh, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. That's Hebrews 11. By faith, Noah built an ark. Well, that was obedience, both cases. By faith, Abraham followed God. So his faith, his trust in God, resulted in an obedient action which he took. can't imagine that conversation, can you? Mr. Abraham goes home, and Mrs. Sarah is there washing the dishes, and he says, the Lord spoke to me today. Really? Yes. He says, we should pack up and leave. Okay, where are we going? I don't know. Well, isn't that interesting? She's washing the dishes. You can just see it in her mind, right? Because ladies, God bless you all. You like to know where you're going. You like to know what the outcome. You like to have the, your route planned out and rest stops all figured out. And they had to basically go and get on the camels and fill up with petrol and drive off towards Canaan to a place that God would show him. And that obedience displayed his trust in God. I don't know where I'm going, but God knows, and I'm just going to follow wherever he leads. So faith and obedience are always tied together in Scripture. Faith is trusting, believing, and it includes faithfulness to the object. Now, here's a very key thing. It's something I've picked up 
this afternoon. I've, I've kind of heard it before in theology classes and stuff, but never understood it quite like this. Faith in God means I'm also faithful to God. So because I'm trusting in God, I commit myself, I wholly throw myself on God, not just for him to keep his promises, trusting he's able to keep those promises. I'm also faithful to him and faithful in obedience. I mean, you imagine Abraham and Sarah, right? The classic uh, illustration of faith. You're going to have a child. 25 years later, they had a child and they were faithful to God. Yes, they made some mistakes and took some wrong turns. We know the story of Hagar and other stories like that. But they were faithful to God. And faith in God always contains an element of faithfulness and commitment to God. Kind of like when the new believers got saved in Acts 2, what did they do? They persisted, as you heard this morning, in the doctrine of the apostles. Why? Because they wanted to know about Christ. They wanted to know who they were following. They wanted to persist in understanding who he is and what he did. Saving faith has many great consequences. And I, I put a little bracket and a question mark in my notes here, which obviously you can't see. But I put that there for a reminder that faith comes around the time that these things happen. Now, what I mean by that is... I believe personally that God makes someone alive. He's a, he elects them. He regenerates them. The Spirit of God begins to work. The Spirit of God opens their eyes of understanding to understand what the whole message of the gospel is. And somewhere in that process, we trust, we exercise that faith in God which he gives to us. So some of those blessings, you don't want to say they're the result of faith, but they come as part of faith in God. So Romans 5.1, believers are justified. We're justified by faith. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18, believers are reconciled to God. In faith, we are reconciled to God. Part of that salvation by faith is being reconciled to God. Believers are redeemed. Uh, I always think of redeemed like prying a nail out of a block of wood. Because what it means, it means to pry something loose from. And so Christ has pried us loose and freed us from the wrath of God. Romans 8, 15 to 16, believers are adopted. One of the blessings, one of the consequences of our faith is that we are adopted into God's family. Uh, we're new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And there's so many more we could look at, but I don't want to focus on that. We're going to get into what saving faith is. Big question is, where does faith come from? Now, we believe that saving faith is the result of the Holy Spirit's work in the hearts of God's elect, giving them the grace that enables them to believe. And that belief is the result of salvation. Okay, I'm going to say it again in case you missed it. We believe that saving faith is the result of the Holy Spirit's work in the hearts of God's elect. So God the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts to open our eyes, open our understanding to believe giving us grace, the favor of God, that enables us to believe. That belief is the result of salvation. Okay, so salvation comes first and faith comes afterwards. If you say that faith comes first and salvation afterwards, you've got a problem because that means that I've saved myself. But God saves us and we respond in faith to God. All right? 
Saving faith is enabled by the Holy Spirit's working. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved. How do you do it? Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So the work of the Spirit comes first, and the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in us is we respond in faith to God. Now, saving faith in believers is distinct from false faith in unbelievers. And again, I'm going to put false faith in quotation marks. That's a term I'm using to try and define the difference between those who are genuinely and truly saved and those who are not. Okay? Is, is there an example of this in the Bible? Yes, there is. Uh, Judas would be an example of a false believer. He went with the Lord. He went out. He preached the gospel when they were sent out two by two. He was involved in everything the disciples were doing. He saw all that the God, all that Jesus was doing, and he believed to a certain extent in Jesus. Somewhere in there, his faith let go. It wasn't real faith, and he departed, and we know uh, the end result of that. Uh, Simon the Magician. In Acts chapter 8, he comes to, I believe it's one of the disciples, Peter, and he says, here, let me give you money that you may give me the gift so that I can call down the Spirit of God on people. And Peter's like, whoa, problem, right? So clearly there's something wrong there. He's not, there's not genuine faith. At the end of that story, Simon says, pray for me that the things that you have predicted don't happen to me. So all of a sudden, I think Simon realized that the faith that he had was not real, and he was asking for Peter to pray for him that the things he said wouldn't happen. Uh, how about this? Example of those who have false faith. Many will come on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and that and the other thing? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Okay, so those men, women, whoever they were, when they come on that day, they've gone through their whole Christian life under the assumption that they are truly saved. And they even say, Lord, Lord, to Jesus. But he says, depart. I never knew you. Okay, so very clearly there is a case of somebody who has a faith that's not a genuine, real saving faith. So what is False faith. And this is my best understanding, and maybe you better come up with something better, but this is the way I've kind of thought my through it. This is what I came up with. False faith is mere agreement to a set of facts. I said it before, I'll say it again. I believe that Jesus died and buried and rose again, so I'm a Christian. No, you're not. Because believing in facts doesn't save anybody. False faith is information without transformation. I've met people in my life who could spout off theology. They know Greek. They know all kinds of stuff about Christianity. They know the Bible backwards and forwards, but they live the life of a devil. So you go, yeah, that, that can't be real saving faith because there's no transformation. There's no change from inside. False faith is faith without the works that prove it. In fact, James actually said faith without works is dead, meaning it's nothing. There's nothing to it at all. False faith is faith without the fruit that displays it. Uh, one of the ways that we know that we're truly born again is we look at our lives and say, what sort of fruit, what kind of evidence does my life produce that declares that I truly know the Savior? 
False faith is faith without the love that it must produce. Love for God. I don't just trust God. I love Him. I look at what He did. I was thinking about this this morning when our Brother West was taking us through communion. And that little time of reflection, I think it's a great idea. We should do that more often. As I was thinking about this God in all of His infinite holiness, I had Isaiah 6 rattling through my head all through the morning. I was thinking about Isaiah sitting there and that vision of the glory of God and looking up for a moment and, and seeing the face of the Lord and realizing there is one who knows everything about me, knows every thought, every wicked, horrible thought, knows every wicked, horrible deed. He knows things that I've forgotten that are wicked. And God in his grace never lets us see it. And then I began to think about the, the great fire burning outside on the altar when the, the angel flew outside and grabbed a coal and came back in and touched his lips with it. And I thought, that fire that close would have produced a fair amount of heat. So inside that temple, inside that old gold-covered temple, it would have been a hot place. And the sense of wrath and the light flickering back and forth off all of the inside of that temple and the heat of that fire, I suddenly thought about the wrath of God for me. And then I thought, of course, about the Lord Jesus who died on a cross. And you know what? There was I just realized, wow, God loved me beyond anything I could imagine. And in my heart, there was just a, an overflowing of love for God. So genuine saving faith produces love. False faith is faith without love. False faith is good works without trust in God for salvation. And we all know folks who do great things. Uh, you can look through the history of some of the great saints in the Catholic Church. God bless them. But they did lots of great works, but there was no genuine saving faith behind it. It was all about doing the works to get more grace from God so they could be saved, hopefully one day. Right? So false faith is good works without trusting God for salvation. So what true saving faith is, is God's gift to the elect. It's as simple as that. The scripture makes it absolutely clear. Take your Bibles, flip over. Uh, Romans 8, you know it well, but we'll read it again anyways. Just to make sure we don't misunderstand this. True saving faith will only come to God's elect. Now that sounds very harsh, very strong words. But they are in fact what the scripture teaches. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, and we will read from verse 29, well-known words. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, sorry, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's five things listed there. Foreknowledge predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. And we also know in the middle there, there's sanctification, which he hasn't mentioned here. So six things. The first three are all done well prior to our actual in time coming to faith in Christ. So the elect are those who receive the gift of God's faith. You say, oh, that's really tough. So how do we know who to preach to? No, we don't. That's the, that's the wonderful thing about God's grace. I have absolutely no idea who is elect, and I'm glad I don't know. And so I preach the gospel to anybody who will listen, and we share the gospel in the, not in the hopes that some might be saved. We preach the gospel in the certainty that some definitely will be saved because God has 
or known them, and so on. Another way to understand this, the distinction between saving faith and false faith is kind of the illustration of the parable of the soils. You remember the story Jesus tells? A man goes out to sow some seed, takes a handful of seed, and in the old days they would take it and they would have a quite a skilled throw. And as they spread their fingers out, the soil would kind of, the, not soil, the seed would spread out. Now, he talks about different kinds of soils. And in fact, probably better called the parable of the soils than the parable of the seed. Um, there's bad soil, there's rocky soil, there's hardened soil, there's thorny soil, there's weedy soil, and so on. And those soils are unprepared to receive the word of God. What's the first thing a farmer does when he comes to sow seed before he gets the seed out? He prepares the soil. Who here is a gardener? Anybody here garden? Yeah, a couple of you. I have the gift of killing things that are green, right? Just so you know. Never give me a plant, it'll die. I don't know why they look. Take one look at me and that's it. Done. Right? But some people have that gift of being able to grow plants and raise things. Brady is actually a great part, uh, gardener. He loves to plant things and grow veggies and so on. But what they do is they prepare the soil. They churn it up. They put in some fertilizer. They get rid of all the stones and weeds and bits of hard stuff. And they clean it all up. Uh, in the old days, the farmer would take a plow and run the plow through the field because it would break up the hardened soil. So God prepares the soil so when he throws the seed of the word of God out, the soil that is prepared is able to receive the seed and it brings forth a crop, right? So good soil has been prepared by God to receive the seed. Bad soil, rocky, hard, thorny, weedy, all that, it hasn't been prepared. And some of those that are bad soil, they hear the message unprepared by God, and they leap up. The Bible is the idea that they spring up quickly and then die off, right? Why? There's no preparation. There's no root. There's no life there. We've all seen, and sadly, we can remember different ones we know who came to faith in Christ. There was all of a sudden this massive growth, and then they just petered out and walked away, never to come back. And you say, what happened? He's backslidden. Um, Actually, I would say no. I would say more than likely he was never saved to start with. You say, what's the proof? How do we really know? And none of us can know the truth about each other. Uh, Remember the parable of the wheat and the tares, right? The farmer sows a a field of wheat and the enemy comes along and he sows in tares. I have no idea what tares are, but I'm guessing they look a lot like wheat. Wheat. I told you I was no gardener. gardener. So he sows in weeds amongst all the wheat. And the servant comes back and says, oh, master, what should we do? The tares and the wheat are together. The, the, the tares will choke out the wheat. Should we pull it all up? And the master says, no, no, leave it. And then on judgment day, he reaps the whole lot and he goes through the pile of wheat and tares, weeds, and he throws the wheat to one side, his right side, and he throws the weeds to his left side. And it's a picture of the judgment. And the idea there is that those in the pile don't actually know where they stand. Well, those who are genuinely wheat do, those who are tares may be self-deceived, right? And this is a really tough one to get your head around and say, is there possible that people who think they're saved, but they're really not? And the answer is absolutely. The Lord, Lord, did we not? Da, 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 absolutely proves that. So what do we do? Well, if you watch and you read through the Gospels as Jesus preaches and Jesus talks, what does he often do? 
He finishes up his Sermon on the Mount, that great Sermon on the Mount. He says, if anyone hears my words, and again does them, I'm not I'm quoting from memory, he will be like one who builds his house on a solid rock. The wind and the waves will come and the house will stand firm. If anyone does not obey my words, hear and obey, he's like one who built his house on the sand. And the wind and the waves will come and the house will fall down flat and there will be destruction. The idea, he's warning them. So when we preach the gospel, when we share the gospel with somebody, when we finish that time of sharing, we ought to impart a warning. I ought to impart a warning every time I preach the gospel. Be very sure that you follow what the Bible says about following Christ because the failure to do so will result in your destruction. We've made the gospel, or we try to make it so easy to believe that in the end, what we do is we do absolutely no favors to anybody. What we do in the end is we actually contribute to their possible destruction. You say, if they're elect, they'll get saved anyway. Yes, they will, but you'll still bear the judgment for watering down God's gospel. Right? So, saving faith is proved by really two things. Believers' perseverance. Those who are genuinely, truly saved will walk behind the Lord. They'll follow him all the way to the end. You say, that's kind of a long way to wait and find out if I'm truly saved or not. Well, there's a second way you can know as well. Genuine saving faith will always produce fruit. Like what kind of fruit? Well, how about repentance? I don't know whether it's just me as I get older. Um, I live with a very godly wife. That may be part of it. But when I sin... When I break the rules, there is a grieving in my heart. If you can sin with no grief whatsoever, that's a really strong warning sign. Heads up. Something's not right. But when you walk with the Lord and you're in His Word and you're trusting in God and your desire is to, to know the Lord, like we were saying this morning, they come to faith and they immediately persist in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. All those things... There's a desire inside. You've got to be with God's people. You've got to learn God's word. You want to know all about the Lord. I knew I was saved when I came to the Lord because I went like in a, a massive switch, got flipped inside of me. You never know from looking at me, but I used to be a bit of an athlete. I do emphasize the word bit of an athlete. I used to play in hockey. I was always the goalie because they figured I could cover more space on the goal net or something. I don't know. I always played defense in soccer because I could hit harder. And I played defense in football or center because I was the center of the biggest guy on the whole team. Um, I flattened guys. They used to put two on the other side of me. And I went up to Bible camp and I heard the gospel and I took a Bible with me and I was like, oh yeah, I've got to go to chapel. Right? I heard the gospel and heard it, and heard it, and heard it, and God began to work. And I still remember that moment when I came to faith in Christ. I can picture it just like it was yesterday. And overnight, there was a craving inside of me to know God's Word. And I'd go out and I'd play sports when you were supposed to. You had to play sports. And as soon as I was done, I'd be off the, the hockey field or off the, the, um, the football field and down back on my bunk with my little NIV Bible and I was reading to understand it. There was a craving inside. That's fruit. So how do you know if you're truly saved? There's fruit there. There's fruits of repentance. There's fruits of godliness and holiness. 
all of a sudden you see the spiritual fruit when your natural reaction is to react with anger and animosity and malice and hatred and all those other things. And instead you find yourself just responding in love. If then there's that overwhelming sense of peace with God in your heart, there's fruit. You can say, you know what? I know I'm the Lord's because I would never react that way if it wasn't for the Lord. I know I belong to the Lord. I know I'm one of his because I love being with God's people. No offense, but if it wasn't for the Lord, I couldn't stand most of you guys. I'm only kidding. I love being with God's people, right? Oh, don't don't shake your head and smile. You, you wasn't the Lord. You couldn't stand being with me either. It's okay. But it's true. We have a love for God and a love for his people. We have a love for the things of God. We have a love for the word of God. That's all proof that the spirit of God is at work inside of us to make us like Christ and draw us to him. That's that fruit of genuine saving faith. And I have planned to go a whole lot more into this tonight, but I'm probably not going to bother. Stop. Everybody just stop for a second. Take a moment. Look back through your life this day and this week. What fruit do you see in your life? You say, should we be fruit inspectors? Absolutely. Does that mean I should examine you? No. The Bible says let each man examine himself. Examine yourselves, Paul says, to see whether you are in the faith. And I had somebody try and tell me, that's not what it means. It means something totally different. And I did a whole bunch of word studies. And you know what I discovered? The phrase, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith, I studied. It means this, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith or not. Take a long, hard look. Look through the mirror of Scripture and see what God is doing in your life. Do you see fruit there? Do you see evidence of real life there? Because that's how you know that there is genuine saving faith in God. We believe that saving faith is the Holy Spirit's work in the hearts of God's elect, giving them the grace that enables them to believe to the saving of their souls. Saving faith is enabled by the Spirit's work. Saving faith, this is beautiful, is both authored and perfected by Christ. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who's he talking about? Charlie Spurgeon, John Wesley, George Whitfield, uh, all Benny Crosby, all these great saints who have loved the Lord and gone on ahead of us. They're looking on. And you know what they're doing, brothers and sisters? They're cheering us on. I'm convinced of it. Since we're surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. There is a responsibility for us to take a long, hard look at our lives and say, what are the weights? What are the bad habits? The un, not necessarily the ungodly things, but the distracting habits that we have. And throw them aside. Get rid of them. 
And maybe you have to go through your life and have a good, long, hard look at your time schedule. What do you soak up your time with? They might be good things, but are they promoting or hindering godliness in you? Throw off the sin. That's very clear. You see a sinful habit, a sinful reaction. You see sin in your life. Get rid of it. Put it off. Seek God's forgiveness. He said, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance. It's not a sprint. I always signed up for the sprint, right? Because it's a short distance. You just book it and you can die right at the finishing line. It's okay. You got over the line. But the long distance races, right? Like the 1,000 meters or the marathon. I never signed up for those because they were too long and I'd die before I could hop around the, lap, the first lap, right? But you know what? The Christian race is not a sprint. It's a long-distance run of endurance. I don't know much about uh, marathon running, but I do know you have to pace yourself. I know you have to work at a steady pace. You have to run so as to finish, not run so as to be a bullet. Right? And so, and so the writer to Hebrews, whoever he was, is saying, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus. Don't go looking at yourself to see how well you're doing all the time. Look up and focus on Christ. Look at the one who has run ahead of us and given us the example of how we're to live and run. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, it's possible he may mean the faith as in the system of belief, but I think in this case it's both the system of belief and the verb faith, the actual faith that we exercise. So not only is it a gift from God, and this is great, he gives us the faith to believe, and he perfects it for us. Now, at various points in your life, brothers and sisters, all of us are going to go through high points and low points of faith. There are going to be days when your faith will begin to flag, and you'll begin to lose hope, and, you, and the weight of running the life of a Christian is going to weigh you down. It's true. If I told you something else, I'd be lying to you. But the reality is, with our eyes fastened on Jesus, throwing off the things that are hindering and quenching the Spirit of God's work in us, throwing off the habits and the sins that are weighing us down, fastening our eyes on Christ, we will finish the race, and He, He's going to perfect it. He's going to make that trust so much stronger. It's almost like as he puts that desire inside of us to live by faith, to walk by faith. And the moment I twitch my muscles to begin to act in obedience to him, to respond to that working inside of me, he just infuses strength. Uh, John Piper makes a great comment. He says that uh, God imparts the strength to obey his call. It's like God calls, come. And I remember when we had... Uh, we're, well, we got a, a lot of little baby now, but she can already walk. Um, when my boys were little, and we would say, come on, come walk. And we put our hands out, right? And the little hands would grab onto you. And as you'd say, come, you would just lift them and pull them towards you. And pretty soon as you said, come, your hands would be a little further away, and they would kind of reach out and kind of grab onto you, and then you'd pull them towards you. It's exactly what God does with us. He says, follow me, and he reaches out. And as he says, follow me, he puts his hand over ours and begins to pull us to follow him. And he imparts to us the strength and the enabling to obey and walk by faith. 
But you know, brothers and sisters, we can do the other thing too. We can pull our hands back and, and, and we can put our hands behind us. And we can step back and say, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. And when we do that, we disobey, number one. We hinder and we quench the working of the Spirit of God in us. And God now needs to do something in the form of discipline to get us to put our hands out and reach on to God and pull and walk and go in obedience to what he calls us to. It's a race of endurance. But Jesus is the founder. He, he founded our faith. The author is a better way to read that. He developed and created our faith, if you like. And the Spirit of God gave it to us. And then he perfects it in us. So that trust and that bond of faith becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And people are afraid. And I don't blame them. We, we read stories of missionaries in great faith who went all over the world preaching the gospel. We think, oh, if, if I trust in God, I'm going to want to be a missionary in the darkest part of Africa. And I don't like the dark. Right? And we, we pull back. But the reality is God doesn't take you from moment of belief to being a missionary off in the far corners of the world. He's like a loving parent. He takes you and he teaches you how to crawl, then how to walk on your knees, and then how to walk upright. And then as you start to walk, he starts to teach you how to run. And one day he'll give you something bigger to do. In other words, the whole growth of faith is a progressive thing, and God takes us through it. So saving faith is God's gift. He authored it and he is perfecting it. And faith comes by the ministry, by the preaching of the word of God. Um, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes through hearing and through the word of God, hearing through the word of Christ. How is faith built? Well, it's the same way that faith comes. Our faith is built and strengthened as we hear the words of Christ, as we obey the words of Christ, like we said this morning repeatedly, as we persist in the doctrine of the apostles, our faith is built and increased and strengthened. And there's so much more I want to say, but I know uh, pizza just arrived and dinner's here, and so I'll wrap it up there. That was page four out of eight. So if I keep going, we'll be here for another hour and a bit. So I'll just quit there. Pick it up again next week. How's your faith, brothers and sisters? How you doing? It's a hard question to answer. And my one answer to you, if you're wondering and you're struggling, is look up to Jesus. Fasten your eyes on him. Persist. Devote yourself to the apostles' doctrine. Spend time in God's word. It is a marvel. I couldn't count the number of times struggling and wrestling with my faith. I had real struggles when I was younger. There were times I'd sit down with a notebook and start writing, I believe that God exists. I believe that Jesus died. And I'd write out my statement of faith and I'd write it out and write it out and write it out. And go back to the word of God and go, I believe this exists. I believe this is real. And when the faith begins to fail, I'll hang on to this and trust that when I get through this dark part, like the valley of the shadow of dark places, I will hang on to God who is with me all the way through. And I know I'm convinced that I'm not walking into this to stop. I'm walking through this. And I will see the light on the far side. 
And I began to focus on Scripture and focus on the Lord. All of a sudden, the clouds began to part. And my life got all kind of easy and better, and I had happy and wealthy and lucky and all the rest of my life, right? No, not even for a second. What it meant was that I knew who I was holding on to. And even the dark places, I could smile and keep walking because I knew the Savior was with me and would not leave me and let me go. And my faith got a little stronger. I'm, you could ask Ben how this works practically a lot better than you can ask me. But he goes to the weight room and he lifts weights. And if you lifted what I did for 10 years, your muscles would hit a point and then that's it. They wouldn't grow anymore because now your muscle can handle that amount of weight. But as soon as you go back to the thing and you start adding a couple little plates on, then you lift it. Oh, man. And then you add a bit more. Oh, man. And then you add, you know, I'm up to five kilos now. You can't do it, right? And you're struggling. What's the point? God adds the weight to our circumstances. So when we exercise the muscles of faith, they get stronger. But our faith doesn't get stronger while we walk in the sunshine, while we walk through the pleasant places. Our faith gets stronger when we walk down into the valley of the shadow of dark places. And then our faith, we've got nothing left to hang on to. We look up and see Christ and we hang on to him. That's when our faith gets stronger. Brothers and sisters, don't give up. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep walking with the Lord. All right. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of faith. Father, we realize immediately that it was not our doing. It is not our production. It is a treasured gift that you have given to us. And Father, we pray that you would help us to take a close and careful examination of our life, to see the fruit, to look and find fruit. And Father, if there is no fruit to be found, to fall on our knees and cry out to you that you would work in us to increase the fruit, that you'd work in us, Father, to, to develop that faith, to strengthen it, Father, it would be the greatest tragedy of all to go through life attending Noble Park Baptist Church for 50 years, to stand before the King of Kings and say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And to hear those almost unbearable words, depart from me, I didn't know you. Father, I plead with you, if there is somebody in this room who is struggling and doubting, I plead with you, O oh God, that the Spirit of God would draw them close, help them to search the Scriptures, help them to search their own hearts, help them to understand where they truly stand before you and to settle the issue. Father, to cry out for help and for salvation. Father, we plead with you for your help in all our church. Father, for those who are here and those who couldn't be here tonight. Father, we ask you for your blessing. We give you thanks, O oh God, for the scriptures. And Father, there are some hard things for us to understand. And Father, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you, Father, for the faith that you've given us. We thank you for the word of God. Father, we thank you that the Spirit of God inspired men to write. And Father, through those writings recorded your precious truth. 
Father, help us to come to it in submission to it and understand it and to live it out. Father, we seek your blessing for the week ahead. Lord, each of us will face different struggles and trials and our faith will be tested and pushed to the limit. Father, we pray that you would help us to fasten our eyes on Christ through it all, to take each step in the sure confidence that he is with us and will not depart and is using those difficult times to increase our faith. We give you thanks again, O God, for a good day of worship and good time together as a family around our Savior. We ask you now, Lord, for your blessing. Father, thank you for some pizza, some some refreshment, and some time of fellowship, and we ask you for your blessing in it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.